0: Hello, and welcome to Touching the Sunrise podcast. I am Sister Catherine Herms, author of Surviving Depression, A Catholic Approach, and Reclaim Regret How God Heals Life's Disappointments, and spiritual guide in the Heartwork program, which specializes in helping people walk the road of spiritual growth and inner healing. For the past 10 years, I have been walking alongside wonderful women and men who want a more heart-centered and spiritual life, but would like support along the way. Through online programs, groups, and one-on-one spiritual guidance, I walk with people along a contemplative and healing path, one that has been trodden for thousands of years. Basically, I'm here to help you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit who has come to make your being the throne of the Holy Trinity so that your life, your prayer, your relationships, your dreams and goals will most deeply satisfy the desires of your heart. You can find out more about me and what God has led me to do in the world by visiting my website touchingthesunrise.com. Hello oh, and welcome to Sister Catherine's podcast. I'm touching the sunrise. I'm here with Jeanette, my friend.
1: Hi, Sister Catherine.
0: And we're continuing our conversation on New Year's resolutions. Well, kind of continuing a conversation on New Year's resolutions. If you remember a couple times ago, we spoke about um, whether or not we should really be making resolutions. And of course, that's a conversation a lot of people are having right now. Um, but the important thing is not whether or not we should be making resolutions, but what is it that we should be doing at the beginning of a new year? Because beginnings are always wonderful times when we can change, we can alter directions, we can add new things into our, our lives, into mm-hmm. our schedules. Um, we can decide, we wanna really develop a certain area of our personality. Um, Be that through a hobby, through a skill, through more time that we give to certain things. So New Year's are times to begin new things, to transition from who we have been to a little bit more in the direction of where we would like to see ourselves moving now. Not necessarily a goal I want to attain that's out there, separate from me, that would be like the most wonderful thing if I got there. But as we were talking about even last time, putting into place exercises or practices or tools or skill sets that in the present begin to change who we are. Right. It's almost like hitting a
1: reset button. I mean, I think that's the exciting thing about it is that you know you we all obviously make mistakes and um will continue to do so, but to be able to take a moment and, you know, look at, as you say, the direction our lives have been going in and making sure that they're going the way we want them to. And if not, hit that reset button and say, okay, let's figure out how to move forward here. Um, but, you know, what? as I was saying, and I just keep getting stuck on this, that that resolutions tend to be like lists, their goals, their things mm-hmm. to achieve. Um and as I'm moving through midlife, and we've had some conversations about midlife, as I'm moving through midlife, one of the things that I am finding is that um, there's the goals and the lists are absolutely fine, but they're not enough. Um, and one of the people, I, I, I think I mentioned that um, recently I, I've, I've been sort of, um, more, more grounded because of, of, of having had an injury, but I've been doing a lot of reading. And um, one of the people that I've been reading um, because I love poetry is is um, Rainer Maria Rilke. And I, I just need to find, you know, to share this, this, this quote that probably people have heard before. It comes out of his letters to a young poet. Um, but to me, it really encapsulates Um, the kinds of things that I'm trying to think about this year to think about living with something that's a little less certain than a goal or a list. Um, And what he says is, I beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. So live the questions now, perhaps then someday far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. And I am just loving that sense of it's okay to have the questions and it's okay to live with the questions. They don't all have to be answered. I do not now at the beginning of January need to find all the answers that I'm going to have in December or the following December or the end of this decade. Um, But if I fully am engaged with the questions now, then I'm going to move more deeply into finding those answers.
0: I think he touches upon the idea that we often see answers or even solutions as something locked away from us even right. talks about as if they were in locked rooms. They're locked away from us. And things that are locked away from us, especially when we need them, make us feel frustrated or fearful we won't have what we need in order to get something done. Or we feel inferior because inadequate. We, don't exactly. inadequate. we don't have what we need. To become who we think we should be or to live in the way that we think we should live. And there's a beautiful way in which she talks about the time of living the question when the answer seems locked away from us is a beautiful time and is a noble time. And it reminded me of a line from a poem on his blindness by John Melton, oh, where nice. he said, They also serve who stand and wait, and that's in a totally different context, but the whole idea that we don't know, we don't know the way life is unfolding. We don't really know the way divine providence is working within our lives and bringing our future about. The resolution to make it seem so clear, I need to do these three things this year, period, Mm -hmm. Um, but we we don't know all the time what the answers are that are locked away and the nobility of this time of not having them.
1: Right. I, I, I think that, I think that we all intellectually know that that's true. We know that we don't have all the answers. We know that we don't, but we don't accept it emotionally because emotionally in some ways we're all little kids still stamping our foot and saying, I want it. And I want it right now. Um, and, and, you know, there's that little child inside all of us saying that and to be able to, as, as, as Rilke says, to love that, to love that moment of not knowing, to love that process of saying I'm within the question, I don't know the answer, and I would extrapolate beyond what he said and say God knows. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and,
1: and, I, and, and part of my loving the question and living in the question is also living in the trust of God. That I may not be able to attain this yet. I may not even understand how I'm going to get there. But God does. Yeah. And, and so therefore you're entering this new realm this new year. um, Filled with uncertainty and yet under that uncertainty is a certainty. If that makes sense. My uncertainty of what's going my life is going to be like next week or next month or next year. Um, is important for me to process for me to live through the questions and be open to possibilities, but I also know that God knows where i 'm going to be next week and next month and next yes. year yeah and and so even in my most um, uncertain times i don 't have to be afraid mm-hmm. and and I think that that 's one of the things to carry into this new year is to mm-hmm. is to say you know be in that moment of questioning but also don 't give up, because Mm -hmm. you're not alone. Mm -hmm. So the other person I've been reading um, these last these last few days is um, also a poet. Actually, I've been doing a lot of poetry. Um, And her name is Adrienne Rich. And everyone knows probably about her book, Dream of a Common Language. Um, But I've been reading actually a different one called On Lies, Secrets and Silences um and she talks about relationships in it and love and what love means and i think that it's really important for us to move into the new year um, not just thinking of our own growth um, through through things like what rilke was saying but also to think about our relationship with our communities and our families and our friends and what rich writes is this An honorable human relationship, that is one in which two people have the right to use the word love, is a process, delicate, violent, often terrifying to both persons involved, a process Mm -hmm. of refining the truths they can tell each other. It is important to do this because it breaks down human self-delusion and isolation. It is important to do this because in so doing, we do justice to our own complexity, and it is important to do this because we can count on so few people to go that hard way with us. And and I don't think this is condemning others, saying you know they're not they're not putting everything into the relationships that they should. I think what it's saying is I've got so much responsibility um, for the way the world is and the way I move through the world, and. Um, and to just say, you know, I, I I want to be a good person, I want to be a good Catholic, I want to, I want to do good things just isn't enough. It's much more complex than that, and it involves a lot more commitment. So that's the second thing that I've been taking from my readings to, to go into 2020 with um is, is this sense of being in the moment, being in the questions, and taking responsibility.
0: One of the things that I think is- brings together both of those um quotes that you shared is the idea of process absolutely um you know um adrian rich was talking about a process Um, it can be very delicate in a relationship it can seem very violent it can be kind of fearful it is a process that changes us it breaks down self-delusion she's talking about um, and there's very few people who can really enter into that process. And another person who talks a lot about process um, is St. Augustine in ah, his yes. um, the book, of Confessions of St. Augustine. He talks about that moment in which um, you can almost say he was encountered by the magnificence of God's glory. Right. Um, personally directed to him and loving him. Um, you could call it a moment of conversion for him. But he had lived a life in which he was, you know, a, rebell- a rebellious Catholic teenager. He had um, lived with a girlfriend. He had joined a cult. He had run away from his mother. Um, he had become a, a rhetorician. He was very well-known. He was appointed by the emperor to teach in Milan, Italy. And it was there that he happened to hear the preaching of St. Ambrose. And gradually listening to that brought him to renounce his secular career, change his life, become a monk, become a priest, become a bishop. And as we know him now, he is a saint. So there is a sense of process in life and in the way we relate, um, in the way we understand ourselves. And just a few lines to share from that very well-known um, part of his Confessions, where he speaks about that moment in which he was just overpowered by the, um, the mercy and the love of God. And, and so much that, that he, he realized his love for God was late, Late have I loved you. Everybody knows that line. Um, Late have I loved you. You were inside me. You were within, but I was outside. You were with me, but I was not with you. He realized that he had not um, been where the answer was, where the relationship was. But he had been on the way in a sense. And he says, of God, you called You shouted, you broke through my deafness. Then he says later, I tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. This answer, in a sense, that we all search for, that we've been talking about, um, is really to unlock the door to our own shuttered hearts, whether that's in relationship with God or in relationship um, to other people. And he concludes a little later, when at last I come to the point where he says, I cling to you with my whole being, there will be no more anguish, no more labor, um, and I will be truly alive. My life will be alive indeed, and it will be alive because it's filled with you.
1: I love all of these. They all feel like... um themes are almost, you know, we were talking last time about, about, um, the keynotes that, that Gabrielle Bossis um, took from her conversations with Jesus, but, but, you know, these really feel like themes that in a sense can be so much more guiding to us in the new year than just setting goals.
0: So when we think of perspectives, to me, that's, um, A mental exercise, you can say. It's really also a heart exercise. It's a stance that we're going to take into the new year. Um, But I think that this stance, this perspective, also lends itself to um, skills. You know, it almost has to be brought down to the level of how am I going to live out of this perspective in the present moment. And I'm thinking of Erich Fromm, who of course is the German social psychologist, psychoanalyst and philosopher, who lived in the 1900s, he died in 1980. And he wrote the very famous book, The Art of Loving in 1956. And he talks there about how love isn't a sentiment. Um, As much, even if a person was really mature, to say, I really feel love for you, and to build a relationship on how I feel about another person. And as a religious, I can really apply this also to God. You know, I feel a love for God. That's all important. But sometimes uh, that can kind of lead us astray. Our hearts are these things that lead us astray sometimes. Um, We end up in a a maze that we can't get out of. Unless we also take that um, extra step very gradually to develop skills, to develop our whole personality. And he lists as some of those things that really if we want to love another person, that we need to develop would be um, the capacity to give, to love, um, the capacity for humility. And that's not something that's out there in the public, like this is the most important thing to do and be this year, is I want to be last. I want other people to be chosen instead of me. I want other people to have joy, even at my expense. That's not what you hear at resolution time. It's like what I want to be and do. But if we're going to talk about relationships with others, with God, um, it does mean sometimes stepping back, the skill of, of being humble, of, of having courage, of, of having faith in ourselves in our ability to love, our capacity to love, our faith in others, our faith in God, and it requires a certain discipline. All those skills require a certain discipline. And then I think he says a little later from that part that I read recently is that everybody starts out relationships. Everybody looks at love with the highest expectations and the most joy and the most hope For them. And we we also know that without the undergirding of these basic skills, really human virtues, um, divine virtues, that love can kind of um, uh, crash. Um, It can never, it sometimes doesn't reach that fullness and blossoming that we so hope for and desire and long for.
1: I do like like his emphasis on, on on really developing it as a skill. I mean, I've always I've always imagined that that there's a there's an interesting image where you can think of um, an ocean and your feelings are what is right on top of the ocean. So you've got storms and you've got beautiful days and you've got big waves and you've got small waves and 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 your feelings kind of fluctuate with that. But down underneath is where reality is where the the real you and your relationships with people and with God abide, but that needs to be nourished. And mm-hmm. the other thing that um that 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 what you're saying brings up to mind in me is that one of the reasons that relationships and love disappoint us often is that we are not seeing the other person for who they really are. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're seeing we're projecting what we think we we see in them or we want to see in them, or we don't want to see in them, and we put that all on them and we're not listening to them as real people. Um, I'm thinking of Ann Truitt, who um, wrote a, a a journal, I guess she's called um, Day Book, the Journal of an Artist. Um, it's kind of her diary, but she really does talk about this where 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 this sense of you're looking. And seeing what you think is there, whether it's what you want to see or what you don't want to see, but you're projecting something onto the other person. And then they're of course going to disappoint you because they're being themselves and it's you who hasn't had taken the responsibility, um, perhaps, um, or, 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 or the clarity or the energy and and attention it takes to really listen to who they are. So, you know, with everybody, we choose to, and we do this to ourselves too. um, We choose to focus on the things we want to acknowledge in them, you know, and we don't pay attention to the rest because it's not relevant to us or interesting to us. And and, in that way, we are dooming all of our relationships to failure. Um, even with God, you know, we, we decide that God is angry about something or God is happy about something or, or God wants us to do something and, and all these things, you know, if, if we're not informing them by listening to God or listening to the other person or really trying to see what's being communicated to us, um, then, then we're, we're setting it up for failure.
0: We were talking about Anne Truitt's writing um, before we started this podcast. And the line that you shared with me that I think I will never, ever forget is this line that we need to listen to others with an openness that allows them to be as they are or as they think themselves to be. Right. And Yes. I, I stopped and I went to chapel, as you know, before we actually did this podcast. We both separated and prayed. And um, I reflected on that to allow someone to be who they think themselves to be. Even if we're looking at them and saying, oh, honey, we allow them to be who they think themselves to be. It was just a call to conversion, a right. real Call to me to conversion. And again, going back to the idea of resolutions, there isn't a resolution in that. Something happened to me, like going back to Augustine, something happened to him, God moved, God changed his life. And even these perspectives, and everyone listening to us um, today has also read books that have moved them. Whatever that perspective may be that just makes you stop sit back and say, whoa, here, there's some perspective that I haven't seen that God's speaking to me through and asking me to open my eyes and let him in. Yeah, to open my eyes and let him in.
1: And also part of seeing others as as they want you to see them is enabling them to grow more into the person they want to be. One of the things that we do with resolutions is say, how do I do this? How do I learn more? How do I grow? How do I become the person I want to be? And that's leaving out that whole equation of the rest of the world of other people and to allow them um, to grow into the person they want to be, I think is, is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, And even as you say, you know, the things that are not positive, shall we say, in ourselves and in others, God uses all of that. And who are we Mm -hmm. to say, oh, you know, this is a terrible thing about you or I'm going to judge you about this or that. God's using that because I really hope that God's using all that in me, all my negative <laughs> qualities. I hope that someday he's going to use those for good. And, and if he's going to do that, I certainly hope he's doing it for others. And I'm reminded of one of my favorite saints um, who really had a, a penchant for the BOMO um, was Teresa, Teresa of Avila. Um, and one of the things she's talked about um, slightly tongue-in-cheek perhaps, but, but for real, she says, there's no such thing as bad weather. All weather is good because it's God's. And in a sense, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, murder is good because it's God's. No, it doesn't come from God. But, but many of the things that we think of, because we're, we're projecting our own values on them as good or bad, we classify them Uh, No, you know, a sunny day is not necessarily good and a rainy day is not necessarily bad. It's all part of God's plan Mm -hmm. um, for the earth, for us, for everything. So for us to be able to say, you know, all these things, even this goes back to to Rilke and and talking about living in the question and living in in the uncertainty. Um, You know, we look out the window and we say, oh, what a rotten day today. I'm not sure God's saying that. And we can say, you know, what a rotten person you can be sometimes. And No,
0: God's not saying that. (laughs) I'll remember that the next time it rains. (laughs) No, actually, I'll remember that. I'll try to remember that. The next time it snows and I have to go out in it. (laughs) There you go. There you go. We've been talking a lot about becoming, about love, about growing, about growing through process into answers. I'd like to switch the direction a little bit okay. into another reality that will happen in this year in some way or other, and that's suffering. Oh, yes. <laughs> I want to bring up um, um, just this wonderful uh, writer, political af- activist, and French philosopher Simone Weil. Um, she died in 1943, so that was obviously she had lived through World War II. Um, and she was a thinker of unparalleled intellectual elegance. And Albert Camus called her the only great st- spirit of our times. So she wrote many, many things and helped many people um, by her writings. But I want to share this quote, when, or this idea of hers when she was talking about pain because we all will have either spiritual pain, um, <clears throat> physical pain, even emotional pain of some sort at some point during this year. And she has an inter- this interesting concept. And that's kind of why I like Simone Vibe because she can take these really large spiritual concepts and break them down into um, not exactly a skill but a way of perceiving it that makes it something you can get your hands around. And so that's what she's doing in this part when she's talking about physical pain in her first and last notebooks. And she says, when your entire soul is crying out, I can't take this anymore, make it stop, God, make this end, bring an end to all this. Um, You need to find An infinitesimally small part of your soul that can also say, even if just a whisper, I consent that this should continue throughout the whole of time, if that is what the divine wisdom ordains. Right. I consent that this should continue throughout the whole of time, if that is what God wants for me. And what she says happens when you do this is almost like your soul is split in two because when we're in pain, whatever type of pain it is, we, the, the part of our soul, the sentient part of our soul kind of like takes over everything. Our awareness of the pain takes over everything. And it actually by doing this, by looking for that little part that can say, be it done unto me according to your will, O oh God. You know um, that part of our soul exists, but it's it's the work of trying to find the part that is so beautiful and so powerful and so grace filled. And I often think of of Mary when when uh, Jesus was born in a stable. She could have been like. Okay, God, what is this all about? Make this end. Now we have to go to Egypt. When is this all going to be over? And I know sometimes I can get all carried away and very dramatic about things that I don't want to continue and that bother me. And yet there must have been a part of her soul that said, be it done unto me according to your will. As long as you want this, I want this. When Jesus walked away from her, and left home at age 30 to begin his public ministry, she must have, as any mother, you know, her heart is broken because a period of her relationship with her son was over. And yet a part of her must have said, be it done unto me, be it done unto us according to your will. When she stood beneath the cross, be it done unto me according to your will.
1: Exactly. And And I think that that really ties into this, sense of, I want my new year to be perfect in some ways. I want it to be pain-free. I want it to be wonderful. I want it to be everything it's never been before. And, um, and the reality is that, that we really need to resign ourselves, that we're not always, in fact, never probably going to be totally satisfied with what we have or who we are, or what we're doing. Um, and, Just to add to to the voices that we've been talking about today, um, I read this conversation between um, dancers and choreographers, Martha Graham and Agnes DeMille. And Agnes DeMille um, is the person who who choreographed the musical Oklahoma, which some of our listeners may be familiar with. Um, She did not think it was great. And it became hugely successful. It's actually still being revived all over the country now. And, um, and, and DeMille met up with Graham and said, you know, how disappointed she was with the work and how um, she had no faith, really, that she would ever attain the excellence that she thought she should. Um, she said, when I look at my work, all I see are the mistakes. All I see are, are the ineptitudes. All I see are the problems with it. And Martha Graham said back to her, well, no, no artist, and I think we can extrapolate from that, no human being is ever pleased. Um, and, and said that there's no, there's no real, complete, utter satisfaction because we're never going to attain perfection. We're always going to be looking ahead um to to getting better at things but and again we go back to what we've been talking about before you can be most alive in those moments of saying it's not quite there yet it's not you know my my work has not reached its pinnacle my life has not reached its pinnacle nothing is perfect but i'm in the process i'm in god's process and and that's that's really not just the best we can do but the best there is isn't it to Mm -hmm. to be engaged with god in the process of becoming whatever it is that god wants us to become
0: so beginning a new year with this sense of unrest almost like a blessed unrest is a very different way of beginning a year than um this is what i'm going to get you know this is what i'm really going to work for this is what i really want that I don't have that, you know, and then after four days I give up on my resolution. But this, to live in this constant sense of um, almost a divine dissatisfaction, a blessed unrest, kind of that turns us into um, our dependency on God. To go into the new year totally reignited. Uh, like a candle that's been lit again, or a fire that's been uh, reignited again, that connects us with the divine, connects us with God. And Elizabeth Ann Seton has this wonderful quote um, that I think would be a perfect way to end as we're looking at perspectives going into the new year. And she says, we must pray without ceasing in every occurrence and every employment of our lives. That prayer, which is rather a habit of lifting up the heart to God as in a constant communication with him. So she's calling us not to make a plan of which prayers we're gonna say, although that's important to do, to have a regular rhythm of prayer to fall back on. But she's saying to even go beyond that and all the confusion, the suffering, the relationships, struggles, um, the, the, the journey of becoming, the questions that have no answers. Everything we've been talking about to bring all of that to prayer, to bring all of that into just this constant communication with God where we lift up our hearts and say, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know my way through, but I know you're here and I trust you and I'm going to hold on and live this noble and beautiful moment as it is, um, knowing that you are at work in this moment for me and for others. That is is that. That is beautiful. and That is exactly the kind
1: of holy unrest I think that yeah. we're talking about because in that unrest, um, that unrest in a sense rests on the certainty of God being, being there for us, oh, perfect. us and in us.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This is a great place to end and our next podcast, which is our final podcast for January on the concept of resolutions or how we can go into a new year in a very um, blessed way with new perspectives we're going to look at one more um, practice that you may want to put into practice that allows you really to um, live these perspectives in your life so that's exciting we'll be back again next week and um, thank you so much for joining me Jeanette thank you everybody for joining us and we'll see you again next week god bless you
1: god bless you all
0: God has amazing ways of knocking on people's hearts, awakening desires, arousing questions, provoking an unexpected spiritual fire. Remember, if you'd like some extra support and are ready to embark on a sustained spiritual journey, you can connect with me in a number of ways by going to my website, touchingthesunrise.com. So until the next time, take care of yourself. And remember that you are not alone. You are loved no matter what. And when you search within yourself, you will not only find yourself, but the throne of the Divine Trinity. You have a calling, a mission, and every gift, every grace, every moment, even every fall, mistake, and sin is a step toward your completely and wholly being taken up into the mystery of God's love for you and for all creation. Remember always that you have a treasure of inexpressible joy hidden in an earthen vessel, small and fragile. May this overflowing joy fill you and yours with this fragrance. God be with you.